To support this podcast, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Once again, positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Thank you and enjoy the program. No, I probably had COVID like 74 times. I have no clue and I don't care. Everybody liked Blanche. Because Blanche was a pig who took it in the ass. Did you smell your poop? Did you learn anything? Did you read about the dog story? Why the f*** is my ex-girlfriend who I despise calling me? A lot to blame on the news. It's a lot to blame on Anthony Fauci, that Italian leprechaun. Almost like it never existed, but it fucking did. So do me a favor. Go f*** yourself. JayHearPositiveSarcasm.com com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. That is one way to support this platform and all things PS. You can also go to my website and check out the merchware section of PositiveSarcasm.com or you can check out the affiliate link for Weeble in the description down below and start yourself off with some free stocks and I'll get free stocks out of it. Also, they are offering a high yield uh savings account so you can just leave your money in there you actually don't have to buy any stocks you can just leave it there and you'll build some interest so that is a good way to at least try to keep up with inflation questions concerns comments you can email me positive sarcasm at outlook.com or you can contact me directly through my website subject matter whatever you want to talk about um also one other thing oh social media of course if you want to find me on instagram at positive underscore sarcasm or facebook.com slash pos pos sarcasm listening to this podcast is easy pretty much anywhere where podcasts are available including substack check it out like subscribe on those platforms video version available on facebook.com slash pos sarcasm and of course on rumble rumble.com positive sarcasm wanted to look at a couple things today actually speaking of the price of inflation i saw a picture of a car i used to own for quite a quite a while one of the longest cars i've ever see i owned it when i was about 17 and then it was about until i was about 22 or 23 um one of the longest cars i've ever owned longest ownership um 1991 chevy cavalier rs god when i look back on this car it was actually not a great looking car, but you know, for me that was a little something, little little sense of freedom. I, I bought it with about a hundred something thousand miles as well. Had a nice engine in it. it was really really reliable. Lasted me uh, to two hundred thousand miles without a ton of work on it. And I it, honestly, if I would have taken better care of it, it probably would have lasted much much longer. But it's one of those things when you're you're young and stupid and you kind of don't know how things work. And then, uh, you know, tragedy strikes when uh, you put it in a makeshift shelter and then the fucking snow collapses on top of the makeshift shelter and puts a metal pole right through the windshield. Game over. Should have kept the sound system, though. But, um, yeah, I only paid a, like 12, 1500 bucks for that car. And it was a great car. Uh, but I was just wondering. I was like, yeah, I was in car sales back then. A couple of years after um, I got rid of that car. Actually, I still had that car when I was in car sales. Yeah, I did. So um, when I, my last year in car sales, 2006, there was a car for sale. It was a 2006 Kia Rio. It was a nice nice little car. I could probably find a picture of it for you. Um, 2006 Kia Rio. Let me just look at this. 2006 Kia Rio. There we go. Let's get that picture up. What's cool about this car is, yeah, you can get it in automatic. Um, and 
and yeah, you could get it in automatic. It got you 30 between 38 and 40 miles per gallon, and com- that's combined to fuel economy. But honestly, this car was not a bad little car, even by today's standards. Drum brakes in the back didn't really need that much braking power power because it was such a little car. But disc brakes in the front came with a 100,000 mile powertrain warranty. Of course, had a 60,000 mile all around warranty. Had a decent interior, CD player, uh, you know, a bunch of things. It, it wasn't bad. It really wasn't a bad little car, even by today's even by today's standards. Had you know passenger side airbags, front you know driver side, passenger side airbags. Had side curtain airbags. Um, it was cushy. It was cushy. It was nice. Now, base model price, you could get this thing for ten grand, if not lower. So I mean seriously, I got uh, this is 2006 money. 2006. It's just kind of a reminder of how far we've come. And I say that in a negative way. 2006 Kia Rio base. Made in South Korea. 1.6 liter uh, in line 4. 16 valve. This is the 5-speed manual, which was really cool. Punchy little cable clutch, too. Um, which was also available in the Spectra and in the Optimas that came out at that time. With a little f- f- with 14-inch rims, which is kind of my freaking Chevy Cavalier at 14-inch rims. But an 11-gallon gas tank. MSRP ten thousand five hundred dollars. So for ten thousand dollars, you could get yourself super reliable. That was MSRP, and that was about a six hundred dollar MSRP markup on this thing. So you could actually walk out of there for just under ten grand uh, with a decent, reliable, with plenty of seating and a decent trunk uh, car, brand new, brand new. With 20% down is literally a grand or two. You're paying under $200 a month for a car, and you can pay it off super, super quick. But, sadly, that was in 2006. Oh, how far the money printer has... Now, that same car... And I don't mean the same car, but I mean like a Kia Base 2023 goes for over $6,000 more. And that's only number four. Thankfully, it's, I mean, number four on the cheapest car list is like the Nissan Versa, maybe like two other cars. But $16,000 for a bottom-of-the-barrel internal combustion engine car. sixteen grand. That's too much money. Back, when, back in 2006, you were able to get an SUV, for a, a really brand-new SUV, base model SUV for that type of money. And it's just really it, – it's – it's extremely frustrating to see that. I mean, for me, I don't care because I'm not purchasing anything brand, brand new. I'm looking for stuff that – but plus, I'm looking for – I like simplistic stuff that's simple to repair, simple to upgrade, has a lot of modular parts that are available on the interwebs via eBay. I don't want to have to take it to a shop and wait three weeks for a part to arrive. That's just not something I'm into. I, I don't think it's – Honestly, any consumer, I don't think that's what you're into either. You just want a big warranty, an extended warranty, be done with it. But if you're looking for a base model go-to car that's front-wheel drive, good on gas, and probably relatively decent in the snow if you put some good tires on it, um, I think that you're not really asking for much. And they still got the really good – I mean, this thing, this car had 120 horsepower. I don't know what the original had, but probably had something between 900 and nine, – 900. Imagine a 900-horsepower Kia Rio. Whee! Um, you could probably pull it off. It, so the frame would probably rip in two. 
but it was probably between 90 and 110 horsepower. I have a 1.6. I mean, that's pretty, pretty impressive. Um, but $6,000 more for essentially the same car. I mean, safety standards, what is what is out there now for safety standards? Uh, backup cameras, is that even standard? Is that mandated? Uh, uh, sensors, collision sensors, are those things that still a thing? I mean, have they upgraded the brakes? What are, are the rear brakes discs now? I mean, that's not, I mean, is it an upgrade? Yes, it is, but that's a cheap part. Brakes are a cheap part, especially South Korean brakes. Extremely cheap part. Still using a 1.6, still using a lot of plastic parts. I mean, I could see like where the automatic transmission is probably $1,000 more, but we're still only at eleven grand. And this is off of this site, which, I mean, when was this, when the hell was this posted? This was... It was February 2023, and the money printer is going to go off again in about six months at least. And when it does, the I mean, we're already issuing more shares, more monetary notes um, within the last couple of years than we have ever have in our in the hist in the history of the United States. So you can imagine with all the notes that are running around right now, once they start the money printer again, how much this thing's going to be? Imagine a $20,000 base model car. How do can you possibly justify purchasing something like that when there's a slew of used cars on uh, out there? And the reliability of cars from the early 90s when it comes to Buicks, when it comes to uh, GM products, when it comes to Fords, um, they, I mean Dodge, don't get, they weren't really that reliable in the 90s, but there was a slew of inexpensive inexpensive cars that you could still purchase out there. Uh, if you're, I mean, aesthetically, are you, do you really give a shit whether or not you're driving a 2023, uh, Kia Rio or you're driving a 1997 Chevy Cavalier with a 2.2 liter four cylinder engine that gets 30 something miles per gallon as well. Also has the same wheelbase also has the same disc brake setup, uh, has a little bit of a larger engine, but the same amount of horsepower, has a back seat, has a trunk, has fucking airbags, is also front wheel drive, takes the same type of gas, and will cost you 20 grand less. Or excuse me, it'll cost you 10 grand less. You could probably find a decent one out there, but between four and six grand, if not even cheaper. And of course, the Chevy Cavalier also, if you're into summertime, was also available in two-door, and was also available in a Z24 model, and was also available in a convertible. So you had options for what to pick. But I just, I figured I'd share that with you because I wanted, I'd be like, how long has it been since I've been a car? I mean, it's been about 17 years, and I'm just curious how um, how times have changed as far as the, for the cost of these things has gone up, and what is what has really improved since 2006 when these cars first came out are the engines maybe a little more reliable are they are they using um are, what, what are their internal parts like what's the fuel injection like they're still using the i mean it's got to be the same the same type of engine have they switched from um what is it timing belts to timing chains because if they have it you still got to replace the damn things at uh at, at, at 60 000 miles otherwise they're going to snap and rip the engine apart the internals anyways so What's the difference, really? They're probably, I mean, for a 120 horsepower car, you really don't need a timing chain. You really just need a belt. So my guess, probably all the same junk, probably all the same plastics, all the same internals, um, just with a newer style, just a newer, just a newer, 
cleaner look, I guess I would say. But I mean, honestly, if you're going to buy, what's the difference between you showing up with this? Imagine these cars were brand, brand new. What's the difference between you showing up in this car or you showing up in that car? Both brand new. Both driven by grandma with 30,000 miles on them because you're not going to get this car brand new. You're not finding this car brand new. Um, so what's the difference, honestly? Specs and features. Um, yeah, 32 on the highway. I mean, according to them, it got a little bit more. 110 horsepower at 6,000 RPMs. Max seating of five, 60,000 mile basic warranty with a powertrain on it. Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong at all. I mean, the price of a Tacoma right now is about $50,000. So, I don't know. Just figured I'd share that with you so you guys really know how far we've come as far as how much, just a, uh, less than, you know, just more than a decade ago, how, how cheap things were to purchase. Uh, and this was right before, this was right before the housing crisis. This is before it kicked into full gear and it became mainstream. So, um, I wanted to get that to you uh, so you guys knew. I mean, what do you buy nowadays anyways? Do you really think that the cars nowadays are so much prettier than the cars were 10 years ago or the cars 10 years before that? I mean, if you compare the latest flagship uh, full-size sedan to the one that was 10 years ago to the one that was 10 years before that or the full-size full trucks 10 years before that, I mean, I'm not a hater of the brand new cars. I'm really not. As far as like looks go, as far as horsepower goes as far as fuel economy goes i'm not a hater of that i'm not i i do appreciate looks uh but as far as what's inside the reliability of the cars that are coming out with all these safety features and all these uh, different electronics that are going into it it's like you can repair a um, you can repair a lot of things that are multiple i know in an internal combustion engine there's a lot of different parts but they were all cheap to repair. They were all just a bunch of different parts that were easy to duplicate on the aftermarket and easy to replace and easy to fix and blah, 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 blah. The newer stuff is all computer-based, so there's obviously if there's far less parts, but it's all computers and chips like that, it's like, well, those boards, those computer boards, those computer chips, those computers inside them have tons of different parts too, tons of different circuits. And imagine that, then that is, that is a very proprietary setup. So when that computer goes, what makes you think you can get another one quickly or cheaply? So if your idling sensor is just like one big computer, you know, idling emissions computer uh, that does your horsepower, your idling, your oxygen, all this stuff. Um, if that goes, how long is it going to take you to get another one? How long is it going to take you to get it repaired? So having something that is essentially more mechanical in my eyes is far more valuable because you can actually repair it. Or at least temporarily get it going again. I don't have a hate. I don't have a, a, a hate towards like when I look at uh, a kid I know drives a. Um, he drives this car here. Let me go back. Uh, let me see. Like this Volkswagen Jetta here, 2023 Volkswagen Jetta. It's not a bad looking car. Like this S. This like uh, this looks like the higher end model. I mean the rims look nice. It's four wheel disc brakes. It's kind of nice. It looked got a decent interior. Uh, but it's over 20 grand for basically a German model of a Volkswagen, uh, a German, you know, a small size sedan. And it's not something that uh, I'd, number one, I'm willing to pay 20 grand for, even at the base model price. And Volkswagens do notoriously have a lot, a lot of problems, but 
I mean, that's a great looking car, but you honestly, I don't know what I would be able to do with it after 10,000 miles. And I'd still have a payment. I'd still have heavy insurance. And how am I going to sell that down the road? Am I going to be able to sell it or am I going to be under? And how much how much maintenance am I going to be paying on this thing? It's just, they're good looking cars. The new ones are great. Just like the new ones next year will be great looking cars too. But the reliability for me just isn't there. And when there's so many other options available for cheap cars that are older, that just work, I'm going to go that route probably nine times out of ten. So I figured I'd share that with you how, as far as how inflation has affected the cost of a brand new car. Um and what you should consider if you are in the market for another vehicle. It just seems like people are continuously buying new cars. And honestly, with the used car market, I'm not sure why. But maybe that'll come to a head at some point. It always does because people don't listen. Uh, let's get galactic. I wanted to, before we jumped into today's, into today's Q&A, uh, might be a short one, might be a long one. There was an article about Voyager 2. And obviously Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, those were probes that were launched in the late 1970s to essentially leave Earth's orbit, then leave – well, they were designed to hunt – they were designed to be inside of our solar system, and then their journey got a little bit farther out, a little bit farther out, and a little bit farther out to where they are now, which is beyond our solar system, which is pretty awesome. And there's video – or excuse me, there's actual graphic charts that I can show you uh, momentarily – that will give you a better sense of where we are, where it is, and in the grand scheme of things, where you know how small it makes us look. Because I don't think people right now really get the grasp of, you know, like everybody's too busy looking at their phones. Why don't you look up the stars and realize how small we are, how insignificant we are by just by the standard of the Milky Way galaxy, which is essentially a black hole surrounded by billions and billions of stars. Us being just one of them. Just one of them. So NASA hacks Voyager 2. So Voyager 2 was um, programmed to – well, it's was, it was, it been out there for over 40 years, and essentially it's going to run out of uh, uh, juice to continue powering on, and it's just going to be another rock in the sky. And they're not – it's not very big. It's not a very big item, but um, – almost lost my train of thought. It was, it was essentially going to be, you know – uh, wrapped up within the next year or so. But Voyager 2, courtesy of Science Alert, uh, Marianne Genau, Voyager 2's demise has been postponed after NASA found a way. There's a picture right there of it. Let me zoom in on it for you. Um, and then I'll show you a bigger graphic of it. There we go. So it uh, found a way to hack the backup power source uh, for Voyager 2 to keep it going until 2026. Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 have provided crucial scientific information in their 45 years of spaceflight. Today, the probes are traveling in interstellar space, 12 and 14 billion miles away from Earth. Imagine walking 14 billion miles. That's right, you can't. That's further than any spacecraft or human man-made object has gone before. Quote, the science data that the Voyagers are returning gets more valuable the farther away from the sun it goes. says... Linda Spilker, saw that L just in the last second, Voyager's project scientist at NASA's JPL, Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Southern Cali. We are definitely interested in keeping as many science instruments operating as long as possible. Yeah, used car, baby. Just happens to be in outer space. The probes have been traveling for 45 years. They set off a month apart, one and two, Voyager one and two, 
1977 a month apart from each other. The probes were initially meant to set off on a four-year mission to sail past Jupiter and Saturn. They were launched with a golden record. Um, let me look up a picture of that, actually. Voyager golden, there's a picture of a golden record. Images. There it is. That's really cool. So that's the golden record that is on uh, both of the Voyager platforms. It's pretty cool. The sounds of the Earth. That is a go that's gorgeous too. Uh, gold highly used, obviously, in spacecraft. Where's that goddamn article again? Um, launched with a golden record with information that would provide aliens with information about the Earth. But the probes kept exceeding expectations, and NASA has continu continually extended their missions, first to Neptune and then Uranus, then to sail uh, further than any other probe, past the heliosphere. The heliosphere is a bubble of particles and magnetic fields that extend beyond the sun. That extend from the sun, excuse me. The sphere is particularly important because from for Earth, it protects us from the galactic cosmic radiation. Because the probes are now outside of this heliosphere, their measurements provide unprecedented insights into the bubble's properties, like its shape and its protective role. Now on to the hacking. The probes are powered by generators that convert heat from decaying plutonium into electricity. As this energy source becomes weaker, NASA engineers have had to shut down non-essential instruments like the probes, cameras, and the heaters to conserve power. But as Voyager 2 was entering its last energy reserves, NASA came up with a clever hack that would allow it to stay alive a little longer. They found a way to divert power from a safety mechanism designed to turn on if the probe's circuit malfunctions because of voltage variations. Voltage Variable voltages pose a risk to the instruments, but we've determined that it's a small risk, and the alternative offers a big reward of being able to keep the science instruments turned on longer. Uh, courtesy, quote courtesy of Suzanne Dodd, Voyager Project Manager at JPL. We've been monitoring the spacecraft for a few weeks, and it seems like this new approach is working. NASA may consider using it on Voyager 1. Voyager 1's instrument previously malfunctioned, which means the probe has not been using up as much power as Voyager 2. The decision to switch off instruments for Voyager 1 will be made next year, according to the Space Agency. Now, to give you an idea of where Voyager 1 is, there is something courtesy of NASA um, showing you exact physical location of where it is. This is pretty cool. So you can zoom in here. So obviously, oops, sorry, uh, here's our solar system. So we go into our solar system. This is where we are now. If you zoom in a little bit, there's the sun. This is the center of our solar system, not the galaxy, just this solar system, okay? There's a bunch of solar systems within the Milky Way galaxy. We are merely one of them. And that's where Earth is right now, okay? And then let's just zoom out. Okay. Out of all this, do you see anything that says Voyager on it? No, you don't, because Voyager's out even farther. So let's zoom out even more. This is our entire. Let me see if I can give you a better look here. There's Voyager 1, and there's Voyager 2. So let's switch to Voyager. Let's see. 
So the Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, they, they only left like a month or two apart from one another, but they took different routes. One like took like a detour by like Jupiter or whatever. But here is Voyager 2. Whew. So that is actually the physical structure of Voyager 2. And Voyager 1 looks roughly the same. It's uh, a little bit smaller than a school bus, but it's got this super, super long sensor here, this antenna, which shoots information, which collects data or whatnot. Um, so Voyager 2 is collecting data from the frontiers of our solar system as it speeds through interstellar space, uh, which reached in 2018. Um, carries messages to the cosmos, blah, 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 blah. But it was launched in August of 1977. The question is, where the fuck is it? So there's the sun. And somewhere in there is the Earth. And then all the way out here. Look how far away that is. Is Voyager 1 and Voyager 2. There's a comet. There's a bunch of stars. But to give you a proper perspective of how tiny all this stuff is. So if we click on solar system. Okay. And we zoom out. And there's Voyager 2. Which is, like I said, billions and billions of years away from Earth and from the sun. We continue to zoom out. This is the super cool thing. If we zoom out and we zoom out and we zoom out, there is no longer anything. No missiles, no rockets, no satellites, nothing that has gone, supposedly on record, that has gone farther than Voyager 1 and Voyager 2. So we zoom out and we continue to zoom out. And finally, as we start to zoom out, literally just a dot in the sky the brightest dot in the sky, you start to see other stars move and start to condense. But yet, as we go out billions and billions and billions and billions of miles, billions of years or whatever, excuse me, finally, we start to see the actual light collected within our galaxy, the actual Milky Way galaxy, surrounded by a shit ton of other solar systems with their own stars and their own suns and their own quasars and their own whatevers. But finally, as we completely zoom out, that's where we are in all of this. All the way in here, all the way in this tiny thing, somewhere in there was a little tiny probe flying away from us. But here's the thing, it was able to, it was able to achieve escape from our solar system, okay? But, Um, as we go farther out, there it is. Just a tiny little dot when you get to know it all. All this stuff right here. Is that not crazy or what? So, just a speck of dust at the end of it all. Isn't that crazy? So, I don't know. I'm pretty sure that ate up all of my freaking uh, memory on my computer for some reason. I'll have to look at it right later. But in the meantime, uh, I just wanted to Let's see. Yeah, I mean, it's going to take forever for us to really get any understanding of what's going on. We're rewriting history. We're rewriting uh, science literally every day, every single day of what we know about the universe and things like that. Um, it's, it's, clearly, it's clearly stunning how fragile, how small we are compared to all of this. 
So let me close out a few tabs because I think I fucking just killed my computer. Um, so let's go ahead and close up shop with some Q&A. I don't know what the hell happened there, but I mean, holy shit. How much stuff do I have open? These are the times when I wonder maybe or not I should get a new computer. <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing. I'm, I don't know what that was all about, but I'll figure it out later. Um, anyways, let's see. Is this the one? Can you my Good question. Yep. Okay. 17 frames per second. Holy shit. I got to figure out what's killing my... Uh... There we go. It's finally back up. All right. Anyways, moving on. By the way, if you want to support this shit show, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amounts appreciated. Anywho. Um, frames missed due to whatever. Okay. How can I convince my girlfriend who paid cash for this $1 million house we live in to share her inheritance with me? My longtime girlfriend and I disagree about whether a $30,000 inheritance left to her by her great aunt should be her money or our money. She wants to spend a large part, almost a third, on, on it of it on expensive supplies for her hobby i think we should save most of it and use it on a vacation since we've both been traveling we've been traveling extremely romantic so we both find traveling extremely romantic my argument my argument is number one don't care about her hobby but we'll enjoy both the trip abroad number two we've lived on we've lived on only my admittedly low since it's academia income for over a decade so according to her, her own rule about entitlement to her windfall shouldn't she technically have been entitled to none of the wages all these years her argument is she has put aside her hobby for many many years to raise our children uh it's not safe art it, it's not a safe art form for young kids to be around and yearns to return to it. She paid entirely in cash for our $950,000 house at the beginning of our partnership, through my income. Uh, though my income pays the property taxes and maintenance costs. Therefore, she alleges that we actually have been living solely on my income because I've spent been saving all on rent all these years. True. I feel resentful of the double standard about control over finances and hurt that she would rather prioritize her own joy over our shared joy. Um, she feels impatient to reconnect with her hobby and hurt um, that her contributions to our lifestyle are unseen. How do we reconcile our different viewpoints? How should the money be allocated? Uh, you're not married. So you're not entitled to any of it. You're entitled to an opinion. But if she decides that that $30,000 or a third of it. So let me just see here. How much did she say? Almost a third. So $10,000. So $10,000 of that money is going to go towards her hobby. Well, here's the thing. You called it a hobby. What if it's actually her passion? And she has, there's children involved and a $950,000 house. And she paid entirely in cash. Dude, dude, there's no mortgage. You don't understand. There's an, a million, a million, let's just call it a million. There's a million dollar house with no mortgage on it. None. And all you do is pay the property taxes on it and the maintenance costs. Dude, you have any idea how fucking lucky you are that all that money just goes towards the property taxes and the cost on it and then you can spend most of your time. Oh, it's low academia. Dude, you're not paying a fucking mortgage. You're just paying the freaking property taxes on it. And you have kids. I mean, you're being extremely greedy here. 
You're not married. You don't get a say. You just get, I mean, you get an opinion. You're allowed an opinion. You're allowed to offer an opinion. But ultimately, it is her decision. And she's not spending all of it on this, quote, hobby, according to your your words. She's spending a third of it. That leaves $20,000 left over. You're telling me you can't figure out a couple grand or a few grand for you guys to go, say it's like three grand. And you guys go to, you know, Turks and Caicos or you go to like Key West or Texas or Costa Rica or something. It's not going to cost you fucking $30,000 or $20,000 to do this. Not even close. So I think that, I mean, you don't get a say, but you do get an opinion. But at the end of the day, it's her money and you're not married. And it, the, here's the thing, the, it's an inheritance left to her and not you. The money was left to her, not you. That's the end of the fucking discussion right there. Sorry, bro. You're living in a million-dollar house. Shut it. And you work in academia, so obviously you're an entitled fuck. How can I get my daughter, a high school senior, to spend more time researching medical school? My daughter is a senior in high school. She's currently enrolled in four AP classes, biology, physics, chemistry, and calculus, and completed two other during her junior year. Huh, book smart. She is one of the toughest course loads of all the students in her grade. She's incredibly hardworking. She also pursues extracurricular activities and performing arts at a very high level. And despite these other commitments uh, and her being a year younger than the rest of her classmates, she skipped a grade during elementary school. She is consistently at the top of her class. She has gotten accepted to nearly every university that she has applied. I am well aware that this all sounds great, but I have some major concerns. Oh, you do, do you? Okay. Well, let's listen to what your major concerns are. She has declared that her goal is to attend medical school, and it's clear that she is generally interested in the sciences. Oh, she's in sciences and medicine. She has read numerous books on these subjects and loves discussing ethical and scientific topics at the dinner table. However, I don't see, see her taking any real initiative to make this goal of hers a reality. She has spent very little time researching medical schools, DMCAT, or the courses she'd need to take in college if her goal is med school. She just keeps talking about how she wants to be a doctor and doing nothing to further that plan. Every time I mention that she has to be proactive, that in order to achieve her goal, and she has to have a plan for it and work toward it. She tells me that she's focused on making it to the next day with regards to her schoolwork and has no time to do anything about that right now. I have been telling her how important it is to have a plan and not to lose the forest for the trees, at least since she started high school, but it seems I haven't gotten through to her. I know she's smart, but I'm skeptical that she'll get anywhere if she continues to take things day by day and hope for the best. Her refusal to think about the future is frustrating and disappointing to me. What should I do? Um, let's see. So your daughter's a senior in high school. Okay. So does she live with you? All right. Okay. The second she leaves home, either goes to college and stays, lives in the dorms, or gets her own apartment or something like that, you don't really have any say. Once again, you don't have any say. Whether this is your daughter or your son, you have no say. Obviously, explaining to them that having a plan is a good thing. Obviously, if you're, uh, she declared that she's going to attend medical school, okay, fine. Maybe she has an interest. She's taken all these AP classes, which is great. But maybe she's going to get to college and she's going to be like, I don't want to fucking do this. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Coming up with a plan, if she's really that into it, um, then she'll eventually pursue it. 
You just have to obviously explain to them their options and not push them so hard because they're obviously, according to her, she's enrolled in four AP classes, biology, physics, chemistry, and calculus, and already completed two others. She's already putting herself under a ton of pressure. If you burn her out, and I get it, you know, don't be a pussy, go after it, but you still can achieve burnout. And maybe she's not happy, She just, but she still did do these six other AP classes, which is great, but she might be... I mean, she's still young. She's trying to figure things out. I get that she still lives under your roof, but when she leaves that house, it's not your rules anymore, unless you're paying for the college. If you're paying for her additional education, then obviously maybe you can have a say, but if you're not paying for any of it, then it ain't your thing. Um, asking for advice, yeah. Obviously, you can um, insist upon a couple things, but if it's not your money... Like, she's going to be doing this under her own loan and stuff like that. Okay, then you have no, you don't really have any say, unfortunately. Everybody's got to make their own decisions. Once they leave the home, it's their life to live. I'm the same way. I was my life to live, and I had to figure out my mistakes for myself. And But I lived outside the home to do it. So let's continue on. How can I explain to the person I'm dating that I love bombed them because my ADHD and now they give me the ick? I want to preface this by saying that I care a lot about this person, so I really don't want to hurt them. I have diagnosed ADHD. A- okay, you have I've diagnosed attention deficit hyperactive disorder. Okay. Um, sounds like excuses. And I tend to love bomb people when we first start flirting and dating. Oh, okay. So you're – all right. Okay. No, it just means you have no life experience. Not to try and manipulate them, but because I have a tendency to hyperfixate on them, okay? And they become the only thing that I can care about within the first few dates. Then after a few weeks, I usually find that, find out something about them that gives me the ick. The hyperfixation wears off, their conversation gets boring, instead of being the most fascinating thing ever, the small things that seem like quirky issues reveal themselves to be fundamental differences. I don't often even understand why I found them physically attractive. This happened to me recently to someone that I've been talking to for about three weeks. They they burned they've been burned very hard before, so I work hard to earn their trust. But after a few days ago, I got the ick massively. My heart drops when I see their name on my phone because I don't want to talk to them. They text me all the time and tell me that I make them so happy and that they've never felt so loved before. I feel trapped. I know that I could easily leave and nothing would really affect me, but I know that I would really hurt hurt them badly. And now they're starting to question why my behavior has changed. I told them I am tired, but I'm so embarrassed. I don't know how to explain to them that I'm just hyper fixating on them and I don't have feelings to them anymore. Well, if you're going to treat them like if they're going if you're going to treat them like shit, then you need to allow them to go because you're the problem here. And stop with this ADHD bullshit. You're hyper fixated on things and hyper fixated on people. You just you don't have any life experience. You don't. And you obviously don't have any other fundamental hobbies or interests or goals. So when something comes along that excites you, i.e. another person, you hyperfixate your entire life on them. You have nothing to you've, – you've got nothing going on. So no shit you get super bored and you start picking people apart and then you discard them like a fucking whole chicken that you just picked up from the grocery store. You have problems. And it's not ADHD. It's that you're, you're fucking boring. Next up. How can I get my son who graduated from an Ivy League school but now lives at home to stop embarrassing me? That's easy. Kick him out of the house. Let's move on to the next one. If you don't like somebody living in your house, kick him out. Are they 18? Yeah, Ivy League student. Out you go. 
Next up, am I wrong to be, Lily? it is that simple. If somebody is an Ivy League student and they are living on your dime and they're over 18, you want them to stop embarrassing you? Just kick them out of the fucking house. Tell them to go get a job since they're an Ivy League student. Am I wrong to be annoyed that one side of the house next door to our beach house is unpainted? My husband and I own a second home at the beach. Well, it's Hampton Beach. It's understandable. We, re, we rebuilt ours, but most of the neighbor houses in the neighbors neighborhood are modest. Does, does Detroit have an ocean? We are happy when we were happy when our neighbor hired painters last year. The paint was peeling badly and the shingles were droopy. The odd thing, they painted the whole house except the side that faces us. <laughs> when my husband asked our neighbor when she planned to finish the job, she said she ran out of money. Am I wrong to be annoyed? Um, well, you can. Yeah, that makes sense. You can either offer to paint or you can just learn to live with it. I mean, you are living by the ocean. You own a second home. This is not your primary home. This is your second home at the beach. You can even offer to help them paint. You should be you should be fortunate. This is definitely a first world problem. Um, this is not something that really needs to be entertained more than what it is. It's one side of the fence. Whoop de fucking do. Or, or actually, speaking of fences, just build a bigger fence. Be like, we don't want to look at your fucking house anymore, so we're just gonna build our picket fence even higher, so we don't have to look at it. Problem solved, bro. The problem is on your side of the fence, not theirs. Let's keep going. Um, this will be the last one for today. Is it rude to turn off the light while a cat is eating? My son is currently ill, and I visit his, ho- his house to help his dog and his cat. The cat's dish is in the basement, kept separate from the dog's dish in the kitchen. The cat often wants more food after dark, so I turn on the light in the basement to go fill her bowl. My son asks me to turn off the light when I come back upstairs, even though the cat is still eating. He says she can see in the dark because there's a little bit of light from the door open to the stairwell, but I feel it is rude to turn off the lights while she is eating. What do you think? Um, well, you can get one of those little night lights. Those little night lights are cheap. You know, you just get one that plugs into the wall, little USB light or something like that. Um, and they do have little timers on them. So after like five minutes or 10 minutes or 20 minutes or a half hour or an hour, they just eventually shut off. Just be a tiny little light. It goes away after a while. Nobody even notices, and all all is well. But, I mean, I'm glad that you are visiting the house to help. That is a big thing. I, I definitely applaud you for doing that. Um, if you feel it is rude to turn off the light while, while an animal is eating, I totally don't blame you. Um, I leave a little, obviously, a little light on when I'm watching my dog eat. Um, obviously, I don't, I don't, I get it. They deserve light, too. Uh, even though they are, even though cats are nocturnal, but yeah, you just get a little motion light, and that that should handle it, no problem. That's pretty much all the all the brain power I want to put into this. And we're done here. We're at 41 minutes. We're gonna close up shop. Uh, I don't know what happened. I can tell you this much: the engine that required me to run that little uh, satellite thing that showed you like the Galaxy and the Voyager 1. I think that killed my frames per second. I'll have to go back and check that out. Um, but in the meantime, you can find me on Instagram at positive underscore sarcasm. Check out my website, positivesarcasm.com. Question, concerns, comments, you can go ahead and email me through there or positive sarcasm at outlook.com. Uh, audio version, anywhere where podcasts are available, including Substack. And then video version primarily on rumble.com, rumble.com, positive sarcasm. In the meantime, check out my affiliate link for in the description down below for the Weeble app and get yourself some free stocks and set yourself up with a high interest savings account. Thank you for listening, watching, and subscribing, and I'll talk to you all next week, recorded here from the Spare Parts Studio. This has been a Positive Sarcasm presentation. <laughs>